Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. Hello, listeners. I have to say I have something of a spring in my step today because I am joined for this Faith and Film podcast by Father Peter Malone. Now, that isn't anything out of the ordinary, as you know. We are always joined by Father Peter Malone. But usually, down the line, to Melbourne via Skype. But right in front of me, I have Fifty Shades of Peter Malone. Peter, how are you? Well, I'm just coping with that reference that you made. Yeah, just a bit off the top of the head, that. And I'm not looking grey at all, really. No, you, you look very healthy. Feeling it? Feeling well? Feeling well, even though I have seen the film, which I didn't think was anything to get het up about, really. And if nobody had read the book, it had come and go like you know any ordinary film. But it's a phenomenon of our time, like The Da Vinci Code ten years ago. Indeed. Well, I don't want to talk about Fifty Shades of Grey, believe it or not. I don't really either. (laughs) What I would much rather talk about, because I think it's quite timely here at the start of March, is a little look back to the Oscars. Yes, I usually like to look at the Oscars, but um, you have them at the wrong time here in England. Well, you go over to Berlin, don't you, for the film festival? Yes. And obviously you've missed the shenanigans. But I even missed the time of day, because we are at this stage of the year in Melbourne, 19 hours ahead of Los Angeles. So in Australia, on the Monday, we usually assemble at uh, one of the cinemas and we see them on the big screen, have competitions, have a drink, have a nibble, etc. That sounds very uh, sophisticated and uh, lots of camaraderie, no doubt. And I've missed it this year. Ah, well, you, you missed... But you've seen, as as it were. So we don't have a problem with the films we're going to discuss. We don't indeed. In fact, the problems, no, they're of the characters in the films, but the films are very good. Now, it's been widely reported, you know, quite quite political Oscars this time round. You know, acceptance speeches, talking about Alzheimer's, talking about motor neuron disease. Payment for women. Yes, indeed. Equal equal pay, yes. Absolutely. So where to start? Now, there was, there's obviously been a, a, a bit of excitement over, over British winners as well. Let's, why don't we start, Peter, with the theory of everything that spawned best actor for Eddie Redmayne? Well, if you'd asked me a year ago, did I think that Eddie Redmayne would have a best actor Oscar by this time, I would have thought, not really. But having seen him in the theory of everything... He really does not just impersonate Stephen Hawking, but actually brings him to life. Strengths, weaknesses, genius, arrogance, all those kinds of things. Plus, he impersonates the physical experience of Stephen Hawking from the time that the film opens, where he's on his two feet, to his fall, to his hospital, to the oncoming motor neuron disease, till right at the end when he can't speak. They have to do a tracheotomy, and he has to have a machine, which everybody notes has an American accent rather than a British accent, and yet here he is still alive in his early 70s. So an extraordinary life, and brought, I think, not just by impersonation, but by really Eddie Redmayne entering into the character, we have quite a fine performance and well worth the win which he won for Golden Globes and BAFTAs as well as Oscar. It's brilliant. Brilliant, Stephen. Superb. Therefore, all there is to say is well done. 
Or perhaps I should say, to be more precise, well done, Doctor. Bravo, Stephen. An extraordinary theory. <laughs> Thank you. So what next? Prove it. Prove with a single equation that time had a beginning. Well, I think that's going to be something of a repeating script, the whole clean sweep phenomenon which we've seen. It um, was this year, yes. Indeed. Um, now, this was based on Stephen Hawking's wife's memoirs, was it not? Yes. Um, when they split, uh, I gather she wasn't as pleased as she might have been, or not, and wrote a book. But I gather, as the years have gone by, she has mellowed a bit, and I gather that both Stephen Hawking and Jane have seen the film and approved of it. Obviously, decent performance from Eddie Redmayne. Anything else to note in the acting? Well, Felicity Jones did get a nomination for playing Jane. I thought she did it well, but it wasn't quite in the league in the writing or the performance of some of the other nominees. So I wasn't surprised that she she didn't receive an Oscar. But it's good for her career early in her life to have a nomination. Well scripted? Yes, Yes, I think uh, the script has received some awards. I don't think it got the Oscar. I think The Imitation Game won for a Best Adapted Screenplay. So that story of Alan uh, Turing, The Enigma, and Benedict Cumberbatch's performance. But I think they won only screenplay. Well, let's move on to Still Alice. We had with that film Julianne Moore getting Best Actress. Quite on the cards, I think, that one. Yes, somebody remarked last year, you know, that um, the others need not apply because her name was written on the Oscar as soon as people saw it. It's a moving performance. She was also in another film, which I read this morning, has not been released in America, some say, so that she would get the Oscar for Still Life, although she's very good in Maps to the Stars, a rather ugly film in some ways about Los Angeles, uh, made by David Cronenberg, and she's very good in that, quite different from Still Alice. I was talking to you before, and I said that when I saw Still Alice in a suburban cinema in Melbourne, Saturday afternoon, about 60 people in the cinema, I don't think I've ever experienced such silence as people were watching it. And I thought to myself, well... I think a number of people who are older are either thinking, can this happen to me, or thinking of a spouse to whom Alzheimer's has happened, or people, say, in their 50s and 60s, thinking, I have to care for my parents. Could this happen to them? So I think there was an extra attentiveness to the film. I can kind of echo that because, again, off mic, we were speaking before recording this podcast. I remember back in 2001 when I was in Berlin and saw you in Berlin in that, in that year, crikey, how those years fly by, sadly. The, the film that I think it'd be fair to say divided the jury a little, we had our most uh, animated conversations about this film, was the film Wit, Emma Thompson, dying of cancer, visited by her college professor. Again, that was another one where everyone fell silent for all kinds of different reasons. And I think it was that that relational moment, you know. For me personally, having lost my brother, it was it was like, you know, I, I felt that sort of palliative care, end-of-life situation rather keenly, I have mm-hmm. to say. I mean, that's one of the beauties of film, is it not, that we can relate like that? It is, and I, I must say, I would sit and watch Wit again 
uh, if I had a copy of it. Mm. I had a VHS, but that's so outmoded now, and I don't have a v- DVD. VHS, Peter. Yes, that's the past. <laughs> but um, I thought it was a wonderful film and one of Emma Thompson's best performances. It's interesting, in Still Alice, Julianne Moore is a professor also of linguistics, and the screenplay gradually shows us her losing a place, losing a word. She's very interested in words and um, has an iPad in which she puts different words and she's interested in Scrabble. But gradually she gets lost and doesn't know where she is. So when she goes to the doctor, it is explained that in fact she has early Alzheimer's and that it has been hereditary, which is a challenge to her as she has a meeting with her three children, one of whom is a doctor, so he can find out for himself, one of whom goes to find out and the other one refuses. So it's those kinds of realities. And gradually, gradually, she deteriorates. We see her at home, relationship with the children, going for walks on the beach and losing a sense of herself and knowing that this is happening, even recording a message so that when she is lost, uh, the possibility is of taking her own life. So there are all those kinds of elements in it, and um, Julianne Moore just fits the part perfectly. What's it like? Like, what does it actually feel like? Mm, Well, it's not always the same. I uh, I have good days, bad days, and... On my good days, I can, you know, almost pass for a normal person. But on my bad days, I feel like I can't find myself. Um, I've always been so defined by my intellect, my language, my articulation. And now sometimes I can see the words hanging in front of me and I can't reach them and I don't know who I am and and I don't know what I'm going to lose next. So very powerful, very uh, emotional, I'm sure. A lot of connection with the film. Sounds like one that we should go and watch. I would say so. Some people who've had real-life experiences of people with Alzheimer's are not satisfied. But I think, and I'd like to say, you know, it's 100 minutes. You can't get absolutely everything into it. But as I say, those people silent that I sat with watching it. Obviously, it was quite powerful. And, you know, I'm, I was interested in the title of the film, Still Alice, because uh, we've done some work here at the Bishop's Conference over the years with regard to dementia sufferers, and our resource a few years back was called It's Still Me, Lord. So that, that sense of, well, I'm still here, I'm still that person. And that's the ending of the film, that uh, she may have disappeared as a person, but she is still Alice. And now, Peter, let's talk about Boyhood, a film I haven't seen, actually, but I'd really like to see because it's it's a fascinating concept. I'll say at the the outset here, Patricia Arquette, Best Supporting Actress, another shoe-in, I think we could say. Um, But this was 12 years in the making, using the same actor from 6 to 18 years old? Yes, it's an interesting story that audiences saying, where did they get a boy to look alike so often? And you have to say... It's the same boy acting from age six to age 18. He does a very good job, and um, Ethan Hawke plays the father, and Patricia Arquette plays the, the mother who finds it hard being a single mother 
with this young boy. But they took a week off or more every year for 12 years, made another segment and I mean, that's put it all together. a significant commitment, isn't it, in production terms for actors and actresses, you would think? It is indeed, yes. And uh, hoping that um, nothing happens to the cast <laughs> during those 12 years. And by 2013, able to edit it all together, it does go for uh, two and three quarter hours, so it's a long film. It's a certain fascination just in watching the boy himself. And I just wonder what he thinks as he watches the film. There he is, age six and seven, and eventually he's there, 17, 18, and moving from a little boy to his adulthood there before him. I mean, he didn't even ask. He just cut it. It's my hair. Well, no wonder you were angry. I'd be angry too. You're a Martian now. Honey, you know what? I'm going to talk to him about it later, okay? I tried to call you, but I didn't answer your phone. I'm so sorry. I've been so busy with school. Hey, for what it's worth, it's hair, and it will grow back. Now I can see your pretty eyes and your foxy face. Why'd you even marry him? Such a jerk. Well, Bill has his good qualities. You know, nobody's perfect. And now we have a family. We already had a family. I actually thought it would win Best Picture and Director. I thought it would have appealed to the American Academy, but um, they chose Birdman instead. Does it hold together in the two and three quarters? It does, yes. And I think that's the skill of um, Richard Linklater in making it, writing it and directing it, knowing how the whole thing would go. I'm sure being surprised every year or every other year with how it turned out. But um, yes, it's quite coherent. Now, we're going to finish by talking about the film Whiplash, another interesting film, another uncomfortably powerful performance by the best supporting actor gong winner J.K. Simmons. Now that's about a drumming student and his teacher, isn't it? It is. Miles Teller proves that he can act as an ambitious young fellow who uh, really loves playing the drums and is partly auditioned by this teacher in the university, the music school, who then invites him to come in for training and it all seems wonderful but there is something sadistic about this instructor his way of mentoring is really destructive I would think instead of creative humiliating people verbally sending them out of the room not giving them an opportunity to play all that kind of thing manipulating them and often smooth talking privately and so it goes on The young man himself at one stage is practising so hard that his hands and fingers are bleeding. It's really uncomfortable. Five, six, seven. Not quite my tempo. It's all good. No worries. Here we go. Five, six, seven. You're rushing. Here we go. Uh, Ready? Okay. Five, six, and... Dragging just a hair. Wait for my cue. Five, six, seven. Rushing. Five, six, ten. Dragging. Five, six, ten. 
you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I was thinking of, um, do you remember Full Metal Jacket? Oh, I do. Private Pile. And I was thinking there of the um, Sergeant Major, that this man isn't very much similar in his whole attitude and manner. Or another one that irks me a bit when I watch it, it reminds me of formation days in my life, is an officer and a gentleman. Oh, yes. The way that Lewis Gossett treated Richard Gere. So it's in that vein, um, almost unrelieved. Mm. But you have to admire J.K. Simmons. He gives quite a, an extraordinary performance, really, and a consistent one. Do you know what? Two good examples there as well. I can now visualise this, even though I haven't been to the cinema for this one yet. So it's that fine line between, which you get, don't you, in the performing and dramatic arts and music, between yeah. inspiring and taking someone to their absolute highest level and bullying, basically. Yes, it's, it's all bullying rather than inspiration. Mm. It might have seemed inspiration to the boy at first, but ultimately not. And finally, Peter, in our Oscars look back, those enduring human values. I mean, there's lots of material here, isn't there? We've got motor neuron and Stephen Hawking with Theory of Everything, Alzheimer's. Is it sort of bearing one's burdens, a a lot of these films? Yes. Just a, a quick mention of Birdman, which did win the best film. It's a surreal and fantasy kind of thing. But again, it's somebody who is famous in some of those comic book hero films trying to make a comeback on stage and something mentally wrong with him as well because he imagines this bird man with him most of the time. So while it, in many ways it's funny, but it's got its harrowing moments when we look at this career of uh, Michael Keaton's character. So yes, there is a kind of consistency. Well, there have been no harrowing moments, I have to say, in this particular podcast, Peter, due to your skills as a film critic. Now, I was going to, as an aside, as a conclusion, to mention Selma. What did it get? It got the best song. Best song, yes. But the reason I'm not going to elaborate at this stage is that this is going to be part of our next Faith and Film podcast for March. Yes, well, I think well worth seeing if uh, people are looking for a film to see. Ah, well, we shall pick that up on our next podcast. But Peter, in the flesh, in the studio, thanks so much for being with us. And um, we'll be talking to you on our March podcast uh, very soon indeed. Good. Thank you, James.